Baby, what's up, guys? It's another episode of Talking with Andrew and Chris. I'm Andrew, and I just, I literally just played the greatest Overwatch game I've ever played in my entire life, like 10 minutes ago. So I'm feeling really good. Nice. And I'm Chris. And oh yeah, hey Chris. <laughs> and I'm happy to be <laughs> Sorry. here. Sorry. This is uh, this is gonna be a fun one, Andrew. Um, you actually um, kind of like came after my job title this this week for this one in regards to talent booker but i i really can't yeah, complain well, so listen i know that as everyone who's ever listened or seen the show clearly knows that i'm the main host of the show and chris is the you know the secondary host and like fan. the behind the scenes kind of guy um but this week i just i i i said you know what chris you're doing too much and i want more credit for stuff so i'm gonna book a really good guest today so Fair sorry enough. not sorry no that's fine i mean i always forget when dealing with you it's like two people it's andrew and andrew's ego and i think the more i internalize that yeah the, the easier my life will become it's... and you made my life super easy this week by booking the guest and you literally just said chris just show up on this date and time and i was like yeah you're right that. though as soon as i adopted the the stash and no other facial hair like mm-hmm. i I was really feeling myself. Yeah, and you know, speaking of the stash, our old band who has deep roots in the Poughkeepsie music scene, we are really taking a deep dive into uh, one of, I would say, the, uh, as much as I hate this term, it's so passe, you can't not use it in this situation. You know, hometown heroes. I mean, this dude quite literally inspired so many musicians (laughs) of my age, you know, like the 26, 24, 25 year olds, like when we were growing up in our Poughkeepsie scene, we've spoken about it ad nauseum on this show, but we had bands that went out and like kind of made the whole i want to be a rock star thing a little more justifiable to your parents and so this dude <laughs> has just been a pioneer exactly. forever and he just keeps plugging yeah. away and he's back with I a feel, new record as well mm-hmm. we say it a lot in like especially if you go back to our earlier episodes we say it a lot like if if you're a diy musician or you're starting out like this is a good episode because you're gonna learn a lot blah 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 but like when I tell you this guy has has been through it and has done it, like he's probably done it twice. Yeah, <laughs> like he's been doing it a long time by himself. It's it's insane. For sure, man. And when we interview people, like you know, all the, all the reggae guys, for example, Howie from Ballyhoo, Greg Shields from Cashed Out, uh, you know, Pacifier. The thing that really shines through about them is just like the work ethic and the commitment. Mm-hmm. Because you th- listen. You cannot be in this industry, especially in 2020 with the lockdown, how that's affected so many of the artists, right? We had like the For the Nomads Foundation on the show who quite literally right. were a foundation, a non-for-profit started to help fund people who work <coughs> for the musicians that go out there and give you the songs you want. Their crew who, if the musicians are forgotten about right now, who are the people that haul the amps, set up the stage and all that stuff? It's that work ethic and that drive that I think allows people to persevere so it's incredible for me when anyone can put a record out in 2020 to fight all the ups and downs of the year but especially when we have someone on the show who i would say is a vet it's always fun people like us who like sure we've also had our fair share of ups and downs but we're still in the fight by no means are we out of it and so i think if you guys are trying to find some positives and maybe it's a little easier lately as we're coming out of a really nice summer in new york it wasn't the worst thank god and uh so let's just keep that going into the winter here we have a one of the hardest workers that I've ever not met until today, but have I've sort of had on my radar for a long time from like the local the local area. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jace of Secret Seco Dino Club to the show. Woo! All right, hello guys. Thunderous applause. <laughs> They're going wild. They're going wild. All right, guys, settle down. He's got to talk now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What an introduction. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess I've been around for a long time. 
my success though is kind of based on who you ask. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair, but you could say that about anybody, you know. There are people who think, you know, like Taylor Swift's a hack, but she's got a lot of money and success, so that's true. Yeah, and that's true. Well, Jace, listen, here's here's how I would define it, right? Because there are a million different ways to achieve a goal in the music industry, but like you're going to be met with a million more setbacks. So to just keep plucking along and pushing forward to me and not give up, because how many people can you name from the Poughkeepsie music scene? And I think we were really in a hot spot of talented people. Like, yeah, of course, all those local bands had a shot. It just depends on how hard they worked, but you're still out here doing it. You're still going. And, and, you know, Andrew's kind of told me a little bit about your career and we'll, we'll surely get into it. But like the fact that you're, you know, still putting out Secret Seco Dino Club records and people are still receptive to it and seem to be loving it. I mean, to me, that's success. But I'd love for you to speak to that, you know, because a lot of our audience is people who want to be where you're at one day or, you know, just going to pluck along no matter what, hell or high water. Yeah, well, you know, I wouldn't say like when I started playing music or Secret Seco Dino Club or any of my other bands that I thought like, people would still be listening to it in 10 years or 15 years some of my music and it's like kind of crazy because I've made so much music and I have so many different eras and albums and things that like the fact that someone is still attached to something that I kind of lost attachment to years ago just because I was so interested in making new things uh, is kind of a humbling experience to me uh, at this point in my life because I would have never thought that, like, you know, me recording music with my friend in our basement and stuff would end up, you know, going all over the world and putting me on tour and getting me on TV and, like, all these different things that I never thought would happen for me. Uh, I just, like, can't believe it, knowing that, like, where I started from and how I got there... Uh, it's awesome, and it's awesome to still be able to make music uh, that sounds like my old music, um, kind of like becoming a parody of myself, which I think a lot of artists probably can relate to, where like eventually, if you stick around long enough, the thing you were doing 15 years ago is going to be what people want to hear again. Um, so yeah, you end up just kind of becoming a parody of yourself and whether you want to embrace that or reject it is up to you. And I've chose to embrace it because it's funny and it's fun <laughs> and other people seem to want to hear me do it. So Totally. And listen, I, um, I've been a fan of your catalog for quite some time. So when Andrew sent me this new record and I was listening to it, not only did it make me happy to have something that I hadn't gotten in such a long time, that very specific sound from years long gone, but it brought back so many memories and so many things that I had forgotten about like the good old <laughs> days. And especially now in like this current climate, I actually really was not only super receptive to it, but I found myself listening to it quite a bit. But for the people who don't quite know the inside baseball of like the Poughkeepsie scene and where we grew up and all that, why don't you kind of take us back to your experience with music, getting started out and, and sort of bring us to kind of where we are sitting here today and then we can obviously dissect the future and, and all that type of thing yeah so when i started playing music you know in high school i was in a bunch of bands i played the drums uh mostly and every band i was in just like would either uh kick me out of the band or they want to change their sound or like they thought i was like stressing them out too much 
They didn't want to like try as hard, or they'd want to leave the shows right after they played because their mom just made hamburger helper or something. And so me and bands, like in high school, I was always trying to be in a band, and it just like wasn't working out. And I knew that like I had the knowledge just from playing all the time and meeting so many people that like I could make my own band. But I couldn't clone myself or something, so I started just recording music on my own, and I had never really sung before, so I started singing in the high school musicals and stuff to try to learn how to sing, because it wasn't like I had money to take lessons or even, like, would know how to go about anything. So everything I learned was just like, I'm going to figure it out on my own. And, like, I sucked at singing for so long, like, I... Even if my records were bad or I made bad songs, it was like mostly because of my singing. Uh, my production was fine always, but people were always like, you can't sing. And I remember my girlfriend at the time when I had started making my band Secret Secret Down Club, she was like, you should really just play the drums. Like, you shouldn't make a song. You shouldn't sing. That's not going to work out for you. Uh, just play the drums, you know? And that like made me so mad. Like yeah, that didn't age well. Yeah, like I was just like, man, you know, I think now I have to do this because you're telling me like I can't. So now like I'm going to dedicate my life to this. Like that's how petty I was. And I guess I still am like a different level of petty now, but it's much more calculated. But at the time I was just like reckless. I was like, I'm going to spend all my time recording music. So I recorded like 200 songs in like a really short amount of time. Like I was doing maybe four or five songs a day, just like, I'm going to learn how to do this and I'm just going to keep making songs. And I was just recording so many. And then one day I made this one song uh, that was I thought was so stupid and I didn't even want to put it up on my MySpace. I was like, this is dumb. No one's going to get it. And it doesn't sound like my other music. And it was a song.com where I talk about like being online and being on the internet. Just like stuff that I saw people would put in their screen name or like their away messages and stuff. So I just like wrote a song like that. And within like two days, my life was like totally different. It was like, I went from like begging people to listen to my music, like spending six or seven hours a day just adding people on MySpace trying to get them to listen to my music. And no one would pay attention. I had like no plays. Then pretty much in a couple days, my page just like blew up. And I had never really played a show before. I had never really done anything. So I was like, wow, I need to like figure this out. Because it seems like there's some sort of business to be made here. Like, I don't know that I'm going to make a lot of money, but I, I think I could tour or something. So I just started touring by myself. And I brought a mini disc player with my tracks. And I had them all like queued up. And it would just be me on stage with my mini disc player. And I was like singing my, singing my songs and it didn't go over very well most of the time because like I was super awkward and I was super nervous because it was just super weird to go places by myself, to be in like Pennsylvania where like all these people are excited to see me and then I just like get up in my little car and I like, it was just a weird experience I think in Sing general. Sing about MySpace on a mini disc. <laughs> And this was, like, before I even had a cell phone, really, or anything. So I'm, like, printing MapQuest directions to get to these places all over, like, the Northeast. And people are 
coming because they know my song from MySpace. But like, I slowly learned like, oh, if I go someplace, I need to have merch to sell. I need to have like other ways to make money or I'm not going to last doing this very long. So at that point, I started college. And I was going to college like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and playing shows all weekend, like all over. And the drives would be crazy. I'd have like nine hour drives to play a show. I'd get out of class. I'd get in my car. I'd get there like right before I was supposed to play. And I'd play and it would be pretty underwhelming. And then I'd get in my car and I'd go to the next town. And I'd do that every weekend. And I'd get back to school at like five in the morning before my class. And I'd fall asleep in my car and then I'd go back into class, do my class, and eventually I just got sick of going to class. So I just quit. Relatable. I was just like, I'm making enough money on the road, like, not making, like, stacks, but enough to live the life I wanted to live. You're definitely not making money at school. No, and school was just draining me dry for no reason. Right. I wasn't learning anything. I wasn't, like... I couldn't even get into the music classes. They were all like booked up years in advance. So I was like, this place sucks. I'm out. So then after I left, I just hit the road like relentlessly. I lived on the road by myself in my car. I was playing like, God, probably a show almost every day if I could. And I'd play for free. I'd play for whatever I could do. I just wanted to play and get better. So I just played and played and played until... I ended up meeting JP, who was like a very important figure in my life later on. But I had met him before uh, when I was like 17. His band was playing uh, somewhere where I was playing, and his whole band got in a fight on stage. And they were like, they were hit like two twins in the what? band, and they were fist fighting, <laughs> and they were like wasted drunk. I was like, these guys are crazy. Uh, I don't know what's going on here. So. <laughs> Later on, I met JP, and he had a whole different crew of guys with him. And uh, he messaged me on MySpace and was like, yo, we should make a song or something. So I was, I'd never really made songs with other people. So I honestly didn't... I was, like, weird about it, because, like, making songs was such a personal thing to me at that point. Like, it was just me by myself, and, like, I had to have no one around me. I had to have, like, silence everywhere. And I had to know that no one could hear me singing. And <laughs> oh, I understand that. <laughs> that's how I felt at that point. Um, just because it was, that's how I was. I, that's the kind of person I was. So I met up with JP. We made a song the first day. I sent him like a demo. I used to do on my, at that point, I did all my music on GarageBand. I sent him this like weird demo. And we made a song and it was good. And a lot of people liked it. And we're like, let's make. A whole album and at the time his band was like doing really well about to get signed to rca he was like we need to make this album now <laughs> so we did and within like a couple weeks we had finished my whole album uh which would really change my life with like songs like upside down and uh look at me now and bender break which also weekend ended up cutting and all these songs we did like right in a row uh, I don't even think we like started a song that we didn't finish that wasn't good or something. It was just like the only songs we made were the album. And I was impressed with that because I was used to making like 
ten songs before I made a good one or even more. So, so, so quick, I, I have a couple it. questions. Like your process back in that day. So you, you meet him at a show. You, you guys obviously are both out of state at this show, kind of like maybe on what DIY style tours. Yeah, I mean his band had like a booking agent or something. I mean the term booking agent is so loose. Um, <laughs> sure. Like yeah, I'm sure we've <laughs> all met booking agents that are still like a- 19. Andrew or and I had a, a booking agent not too long ago. Right, <laughs> like. True. A book, the term booking agent could mean like your friend. It could mean like a real booking agent. It could mean literally anything. I'm pretty sure he door dashed me Wendy's the other day. <laughs> yeah. So, see, I don't, I don't have, I've never like wanted a booking agent because I was like, that's so dumb. Why would I like, I was always getting invited to play shows. You know, like I, after a while, once my band started being popular, bands would just ask me like, will you go on tour with us? We'll book it. Um, if you come and like bring your fans and a lot of times my fans wouldn't show up <laughs> and, you know, I'd be headlining the show and the band would be like, all right, like this is going to be a great show. Secret, secret down clubs. Got a lot of plays on MySpace. Like they're going to draw tons of kids. And I'm like, I didn't sign up to headline this tour, but now here I am. I'm like headlining the show that you guys asked me to play. I didn't even like really want to. And it'd be a disaster. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. So I never had a bookie agent. Uh, JP had one, and I think he played. He was at a college or something. Um, but you guys were in different states, right? So what was your process? Sending well, stems we actually, back and forth, or we actually grew up in the same town, really. Oh, okay. Um, but we never knew each other. Uh, we're like close in the same area, um, and he was really the only other musician that I had found that was doing something like I was making their own music at home. Everybody else in the area was like, we're a band and we go record with this guy who's like weird and lives with his mom in his mom's basement. This is is where they uh, recorded phobia with breaking Benjamin. Yeah. Stuff like that. Or like, (laughs) yeah, they got the, they recorded the drummer from shadows fall and that's what we need to record for some reason. (laughs) And that guy who was like, who recorded all the bands in the area when he heard my songs he used to like make fun of them and stuff he'd be like these sound like trash like these sound like they're made in garage band i'm like well no shit because they were <laughs> you know like what how does that just because i made a song that people listen to in a free app like and you spent all and i made it in like 15 minutes what makes that song worse than the one you spent three years making that no one listens to? You know, I just didn't have the same respect for sound quality as some of these guys, and I think that really made people mad. Um, but the truth is, like, my biggest song had one note that was out of key that repeats every four bars, <laughs> and no one even noticed. No one's ever said a word to me about it. You know, I noticed that? it years later. Yeah, well, I noticed years later, I was like, wow, that bass is just the wrong note. And I could hear it. I can hear, you listen now, you hear it clear as day. And <laughs> no one ever noticed, ever. So after that point, I was like, well, I guess I'm just never going to care about anything like that ever again because it's obviously not stopping a song from being popular, so... Who cares? And that's been my philosophy <laughs> there, forever. 
Really? Yeah. Listeners have very big blind spots on stuff like that. It's insane. Like, I'm going to, like, Chris, in, back in our stash days, we used to cover a Weezer song, and Chris didn't know the words to the verse. Oh, I so couldn't he would kinda, like, yeah. It was hashed so by, he by just Weezer. Kinda, yeah, he just mumbled them. He just... <laughs> I just did my no best Rivers Cuomo realized. impersonation, and no one ever said anything, man. <laughs> yeah, because you're just giving them what they want They were they singing hear. their own words anyway. They want to hear some guy going... Ha, na, that's all they care about. Exactly. He knew the end of the verses. Yeah, you know? he knew the important yeah. part. Mind. The parts that like everybody sting, else you know? knows. But yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like once, once that idea came into my head, like nothing could stop me from making songs all the time. And I think that's something important that a lot of people could learn. Like in the beginning stages of your life, like you got to be realistic. Like yeah, the song you record in your bedroom is probably not gonna be like featured in audio recording magazine for the best recording quality. But you have to think of who's listening to it. It's like your friends and people like you. So why are you trying to get like audio files? Why are you trying to impress them? Like just try to make music your friends like who cares? So yeah. And JP kind of was a little more serious about recording quality than I was. Like he would spend a lot of time kind of chopping up my vocals especially and you know i think that's a lot of the the magic between the two of us was like it was a often a compromise between the two styles of like just messy and sloppy and whatever and like really dialed in and i think finding that compromise like brought me the most success uh through the years so you meet JP on tour and it's no surprise that you guys go on to have like a super long partnership. So when did you really kind of hit your stride with him and, and what were like, take us through like the early stages and eventually you guys went on to form a really great group, which I think is criminally just underrated. I listen to them all the time. Astro Safari USA, man, th- th- those songs are my jam. There's not a bad song Dude, in the bunch. Not <laughs> Listen, not only the, the just the songs themselves when you listen to them, but if you ask anybody who went to a Astro Safari USA show, <laughs> they'll tell you that it was either the greatest thing that they've ever seen or the only, oh, the only yeah. two responses I get were like, it was the greatest thing I've ever seen or like, I, I didn't understand what was going on. The creativity <laughs> of the live show. I remember I went and I, I caught um, a show at uh, Revolution in, in Long Island and I was just... R.I.P., dude. Man, what you guys mm. did was just oh, so ahead of its time, dude. So why don't you talk a little bit about that era, sort of, you know, further progressing the uh, the narrative here with JP and whatnot. And listen, if you tell me one more time that the only ingredient in Trapman's tree juice is just 100% real tree, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. Because <laughs> that's the only thing you ever said. <laughs> and it was just that. Yeah. I'm like, dude, no one else is around. It's just you and me. We're outside. Like, just tell me. And it's just 100% real tree. It is real, It is made from real tree. And anyways, I'll here. get to the soda in a minute. But so <laughs> JP and I, we made my album and... He started getting into like songwriting. He was like flying to Sweden with his publishing company and a bunch of stuff like that. Um, so he was writing a bunch of songs. I wasn't really into it. Like, I just wanted to keep making like songs that I wanted to s- for my band or, or for his band or like for some purpose. I didn't really get the whole like, let's write a song f- for someone maybe. So. 
I wasn't that pumped about the songwriting, but I kind of went along with him for a while just to like see where it went. And we had like not very much success at first. And then a couple bands started recording our songs. We are the in crowd recorded a song we wrote. Um, and that was like an interesting process. That was really one of my first processes of like, I finished a song and now you're going to take it and read, make it in your style. Um, so that was an interesting like thing to learn about, uh, just dealing with the politics of that kind of stuff. Um, it was definitely a learning experience for me. One that I didn't even really care to learn about. Was that, was that a song that you wrote like for them or was that a song you guys had written and then you decided you weren't going to use it? That's a good question. I, it was probably one we wrote for like our songwriting catalog of like, here's some songs we wrote for no one that maybe someone will want to sing someday. Maybe Joe Jonas will want to sing this in solo project or right, right. whoever. That's and, the dream. I mean, and he, we would get lists from like a publishing company, like these people, Kelly Clarkson's looking for a Halloween song or like whatever it was. And it would always be like, we've got the Australian Justin Bieber. We've got the, like, whatever project the record label was working on. They'd send, like, these lists, and then we'd kind of look at the list and be like, would this work for that? Or, But we were never very successful doing that style of songwriting. Where our real success ended up being was writing with the artist. Because um, you don't really know... Even if you've heard an artist's song, you don't really know their vibe or, like, truly what they mean by their songs or what they're going for. Like, you kind of have to work with the person themselves and kind of learn, like, if the way you write matches up. At least in my opinion, not everyone's like that, but for me it was like that, you know. And I almost never got a song used with a band that I didn't write with them, but almost every song I wrote with a band got used by them. Uh, So I... I think that just, like, that kind of explains what I'm good at. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so JP and I started writing songs, and then we got the We Are The In Crowd thing, and then my band was stuck in a record deal, and I couldn't put out any music, even though my album was done for, like, years. So I was talked into letting All-Star Weekend use some of my songs on their album, because uh, they want to cut them, and I really like those guys, and I wanted them uh, to be successful, and I was kind of just willing to let go of the politics of the whole situation, and we did that, and we had, JP and I had a bunch of other songs we had written for ourselves um, that we were going to like try to start our own project with that we ended up giving to them, uh, and that, after we finished that album, which was like a lot of work, we worked on that for months and months, uh, after that, we started to get back into like trying to songwrite again. And we realized the songs we were writing, like no one else was going to sing. So we should just put them out ourselves. And that was like the first Ashless Safari album. It was kind of stuff we made right after All Star Weekend um, that we wanted to, songs that we thought other people might like and then realized they wouldn't. And we should just put them out. <laughs> Is that, that's future cover songs? Yeah, so that was future cover songs. We had made like a lot of demos before then, but that was really like our first official um, album. 
So not to go back too far, but just just so like people can sort of follow along with this and, and get the richness of the story. And uh, thanks for being so detailed, man. This is uh, this is really cool. We appreciate it. When you say you were in sort of like um, a gridlock sort of political situation, you're talking about Dino Club, right? Yeah. So we had signed a record deal when I was about, I think I was 20 at the time. And I don't, you know, I don't really know what the truth is of what happened on the other end. And I don't know that I'll ever know. I know a lot of things were blamed on me personally. Like, well, you know, maybe if you had more fans, people listening to your songs, maybe if you went to this Jones Brothers concert and handed out flyers, then maybe your band would be popular enough for us to give you the money to put out your album you're already finished with. I don't really know. I don't know what's going on on the other side. And to speculate is kind of pointless because whatever my speculation is, it's probably way worse. So I've just kind of let go of it and it took forever to get out. And it was a long, like kind of legal battle to leave but part of me <laughs> part of me leaving was that I had to sign over half the rights to my record deal of my record deal of that record to the company without any anything in return but the songs at that point were about 4 f- years old so I was kind of over them anyway so I didn't care um but it really definitely like cuz I couldn't put out any music and I couldn't even put out the album that people knew I was just stuck. Like, there was kind of pointless to play live shows. I play live shows, but then I have nothing to promote or sell, or not even like I can't even put my songs on my MySpace page. So I'm like, what's the point? And then my album leaked on like Strike Gently and it leaked and it had like 400,000 downloads. So anybody who wanted it couldn't even go on and buy it, but you could leak it off of like 10 different sites. Uh, so it made the songs really popular in one aspect but it it didn't really do anything for my career at the same time like i'd go some places and the crowds would be insane and everybody knew the songs and there'd be you know hundreds of people there that i was like how do all these people know this music it's not even out and then other places would be like i can't find your music anywhere so i never checked you out and now i'm here at the show and where's your music like how can i listen to it again it's like you can't (laughs) So I got really tired of that, and that made me pretty, like, depressed, to be honest. Like, I was just, I felt like I was playing for no reason, and I'm losing money. When I used to be making money before I signed a record deal, I was making good money on iTunes and stuff, and now I'm making no money. I can't really do anything, so I'm just, like, getting wasted all the time and, like, being, starting trouble and, like, falling down the stairs at the chance and, like, all the stupid stuff. Those loft stairs? No, the ones that go into the basement. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, so not, yeah, not as damn. crazy of a flight of steps to fall down, but still not a fun time. Definitely a dirtier <laughs> flight of stairs, maybe. Yeah. And dustier. And like, and like, yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff was going on then. And I just felt like super... I had no control over my, over my reality. So... It also inspired me to like I got I'm gonna do whatever I can to get out of this deal because I can't live like this. So that's when I re- when we really put in the full gear doing the All Star Weekend stuff and that kind of gave me some leverage to get out of my deal um, because that benefited everybody 
in the party for me to write those songs for them. Um, and it was just a, it was a solid move uh, for me, solid investment of time. Uh, but it was a lot of time. I mean, we they were on tour while we worked on the album, so a lot of times I'm just in the back of the bus, of their bus, like working on songs, and they're like falling asleep because they're so tired from touring. But I'm just like, yo, wake up. We got to finish this song because I got to get out of this deal. <laughs> so, and that was that was the All The Way album. Yeah, right? so a lot of those songs. That's, that's a good album. Yeah, I'm really proud of that album, and I'm really proud of... Um, you know, the way it was put together, and uh, we had such a good time making that album, and, you know, they went on some really cool tours after that, and I feel like that was a great direction for the band to go at the time. The songs, I was as proud to hear those songs with the band playing them as I would have been if I was playing them myself, because I felt like I put so much work into crafting their sound and, um, you know, just kind of their direction that it felt like it felt like my band too, even though it obviously wasn't. And but it just like emotionally, I felt that way after putting in all that work and watching how hard they worked. Uh, that was really that was a really inspiring experience for me, and it kind of got me out of the slump of like I'm stuck, I'm screwed, whatever. Nice, yeah, man. I have a quick question because something usually comes up on this show, and y- y- you're kind of like in this weird spot where the internet was starting to allow artists, like like you said, to make money off iTunes and to get plays on MySpace without a label behind them, but also the labels were still the end-all be-all at that point in time because no one knew that you could like go on to have the chance the rappers of the world, like the fully independent Macklemore style 100. You know, they have their teams, yeah. right? But they own 100% of their royalties, their assets. So now, looking back on it, do you... I mean, I guess it's hard to say, like, because I think, did you feel that at that time the label was the only way to go? Did you think it was a risk to just kind of like invest in yourself and double down on those iTunes plays? Or did it seem like a smart bet at the time to sign? It's hard to say because I knew at the time the value of being independent. You know, before I started playing Poughkeepsie, uh, I played a lot upstate of where I'm from in Albany and uh, Saratoga Springs, Glens Falls. And there's a lot of groups that were up there at the time that were a little older than me that were very DIY, um, Spam Mathematicians, Parwana, um, all these bands that I, I really admired because, you know, like they'd print their own CDs. And I remember being at their house one time and they didn't have a stapler, so they were pushing staples in by hand and folding them in their CD booklets. And I really respected that about them because they were they weren't just doing it to try to be like a part of some machine where they made money or something like they had real values and things they wanted to accomplish and those things didn't align with what a record label was going to give them and I really appreciated that and I appreciate how much work they put into and it taught me so much of like I can do this myself I've seen people do it themselves you know and I think at the time when the record label thing came up I was getting a few offers from a couple different labels, you know, people who were just kind of like testing the waters, you know, wanted to know what I was, uh, what I was thinking about the whole label thing. Cause there were other guys like me, like Owl City and some other guys who were like, I'm never signing a deal. Um, even though they, everybody ended up signing a deal, but I had a bunch of offers and I kind of felt like, well, if I ever wanted to do this like this, I feel like you don't get this chance too often. 
to kind of follow this path. You know, it doesn't get laid out in front of you like, yeah, maybe you can chase it and chase it, you know, for your whole life and you might get close. But there's, I didn't know, at the time, I didn't think there'd ever be another time where, you know, my name was so well known that like the offers were going to come to me. Uh, that's how I felt at the time. I didn't realize the truth of the business, but that's where my heart was at the time of like, if I don't do this now, I might regret not doing it later when, you know, I don't have the plays I have now, or I don't have the, the like status I have now. Mm -hmm. So I should have held off a lot longer. Right. That's hard to say in hindsight. I was just kind of curious because you're, you're like in this unique position. I mean, MySpace was quite literally a huge way where bands were made and broken and it's still so on the, the forefront uh, pioneering really what the internet musician was is the MySpace yeah. era. And so things I felt had a certain pace and then MySpace comes along and it, to me at least with what I, you know, I was a little kid at the time, but I was still studying up. Right. And so it seems like just the pace was accelerated. So how could you really know? And I always think it's an interesting conversation to kind of ask someone like you who quite literally was like in that MySpace bubble. Yeah. I think it was accelerated, especially for someone like me, like, you know, I could, and even now, I'm still like this, where I can finish a song and have it online by tomorrow. And I think that gave me a lot of leverage over a lot of other bands because, you know, some of them you record an album every year or two years when you can scrap up the money to go to the studio or whatever. And for me, I could make a new song every day if I wanted to. And that's how I felt at the time. So, like, I think people, it was a little overwhelming for people at first because they'd never consume music like that. And I've always been on that thing of, like, why, if you're going to be a professional musician or a professional band, why can't you put out music every month, realistically? Like, if that's what you want to do, I just couldn't understand the idea of, like, why would you wait forever to put out music when, if you're putting out music all the time, you're going to come up with so much more music and so many new ideas. Why try to like slow that process down when if you're just firing on all cylinders, eventually you're going to get something that's pretty good. And I think that also made a lot of people mad in my scene because, you know, they do their CD release show and they'd work super hard to get their CD out. And I'd be like, well, I got a new song coming out. Tomorrow and another one in two weeks, and you Dude, know you that's just brought what me back to a whole world of stress I forgot about. CD release shows. You had to book all the <laughs> yeah. best locals. You had to make sure you were going to get your two dollars on on every ticket you sold under fifty, and you yeah. better make sure you and, get that five and, when you sell a hundred. And more. you tell all the bands, you tell all the bands are playing. You're like, you have to tell your friends to stay for us. Oh tell yeah, stay. Oh, man, stay. dude. Please so you kind of always had this modern mindset, dude. You 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 handled the production. You took the reins yourself. Yeah, I felt like I should, and especially up in my area, you know, I I was definitely the most. I mean, there were other bands that were pretty popular, but up where I was, the number one show I thought to get on in the area and the scene was like when I did a show up there, because you knew it was going to be tons of kids. And the atmosphere was going to be friendly and there wasn't going to be like people punching each other and stuff. So parents felt like fine letting their kids go to the shows and, 
I would always do all ages shows. I would never do them in a bar. Uh, I'd like really try not to because I didn't, I don't know. I didn't want to associate that vibe with my band early on and kind of like cut off a lot of potential fans. Where were you like a, a like, bogeys guy? Did you did you play that club a lot? <laughs> I've played there before. Yeah, yeah. I played Valentine's. Mm-hmm. I would play sometimes, but no, I do a lot of um, like I my CD release show was at a go kart track. <laughs> He's and, dude. Uh, Dude, that sounds so much cooler than any CD release show I've ever been to. No offense, Chris. Yeah, like I do. I would do shows there. I did shows in like this like non-denominational church for a while. Um, but those were probably, those like would go crazy because parents like, oh yeah, there's a show at the church. I'll let my kid go to the show at the church. I guess you know. So like, and it was e- and at that point I made all my own merch too. I printed my own merch, so I was really like. The CD release shows were a big thing for me. That's how I bought my van. That's how I bought all my gear. Was like doing a CD release show every like six months. <laughs> you know, like, totally. Yeah. <laughs> the band bank account broke four zeros, and uh, <laughs> that was always a good sign. <laughs> so it seems like then, because because dude, you're seems like you're ever the entrepreneur. So even though you did have an unfortunate sort of like gridlock. It's not not a surprise to me now, sort of getting to speak to you and, and hear that you were always going to like sort of land on your feet and be okay. And now, obviously, you're back with Secret Secret Dino Club, which I don't think many people can say after they sort of, you know, get in gridlock with like a contract. I mean, I know bands from our local area um, who kind of came and went because we really don't know what happened, but they signed and nothing came of it. I mean, hey, I was in one of those twice now and I'm still going because I think I had, you know, smart legal counsel and whatnot both times. But with you, I mean, it just seems like self-sufficiency is like the key to it all. So like before we really talk about your new record, how do we get here? Is there anything we've left out of your journey that you think is extremely important? Well, that's what I kind of wanted to ask was like, how do you go from Astro Safari USA where you're like, climbing up a ladder in the middle of a soda commercial and then pretending to break your neck for an entire song to close a set. <laughs> How do you get from that to poop emoji where you have songs about like Fortnite and Legos and Halloween and stuff yeah, like that? Well, even though if you, if anyone actually knows you, that was pretty much the natural next step for you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Astro Safari, um, was still is my most successful group I've ever been in. Um, for a lot of reasons. Um, and I think like artistically is my favorite just because all the things we're able to accomplish and all the places we went and the different just celebrity encounters and all kinds of things we had because of our music, I would have never imagined. But I we we tried really hard with Astro Safari and we wanted it to work. And somewhere along the lines, we got the idea that we need to start making movies like a movie so (laughs) we shot a movie and like 90 percent of it was just awful because we never acted before and we were like having our band act in it and they just were not feeling it really and uh but within that huge amount of footage we shot there was some stuff that was just to us so unbelievably cool that we had to do something with it. So we cut down this crazy amount of footage into like a 12-minute short film, and we put it out, and it got in a bunch of film festivals, like some smaller 
festivals and people were paying attention and that got us um these managers who were really interested in trying to get us a tv deal so we thought that that would be great because we loved making the the music and stuff and we thought it would give a face uh, or something to our music which we were kind of lacking because without context uh, a lot of people don't really understand the songs so right i was gonna say i know i know one list of people who would eat up an astro safari tv show right now and then another list that need the tv show to just make sense of anything right. that they saw on that and tour. we've always had that kind of divide with like the people who listen to our music so we were really excited about doing that and it took us on the most insane journey ever uh trying to do this tv show and at one point we were we had signed a deal with the company who did the Kardashian show and they were trying to get us to like host some other show. And we went in like filmed in a star Wars convention and we did all this weird stuff and it didn't really work out at the end of the day, the show, like, I don't know why, I guess no one could get on the same page. We had like a manager and an agent and a production company and everybody was like trying to go different directions. And then there was us and we were just like, insane at the time where the way we acted was just i don't know how to even explain it like oblivious i guess and so those things didn't work out and then another production company picked us up and they had like a a real good vision and a set goal they wanted to get us and they had a they had a path to success um and things were going really well they made this awesome uh, pilot video for us and based off the footage we made and some fo- some new footage they shot and we felt like we had a really good chance to get a show um, so we had a meeting at MTV and it was hilarious like we went in like full regalia and we just act- we acted so funny but and they laughed the whole time at us and I don't know if they were like laughing at us or like I don't know what the f- what the truth was but all i know is that we made him laugh a lot and then (laughs) and then we left and the show didn't end up working out and everybody just kind of parted ways so i was left and jp was kind of over it at that point too like we both love the music and we love the videos but just we'd been through so much with the business we just kind of needed to stop i think and we both kind of went our own ways jp and i we had also been living together for like four years and our lease was up and we were like, I think this, the, the universe is telling us now is the time. Like, is that when the, was it booty parade came Yeah. Out? So before we, that time, we probably had 40 songs we had recorded in ready for another album. So we kind of went through and picked out our favorite songs that we had left and put out our last album, Booty Parade, which I think it's like my favorite album of any of my bands I've ever done. Cause it just has, there's so much depth in the lyrics and stuff. And there's a lot of them are about so many situations. JP and I were in that are so funny. Uh, that I just love that album. That'll probably always be my favorite album. I mean, it's the only album I know of where every single track has parentheses. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. So yeah, we, Ashes Safari was great. And, we 
you know, we did all kinds of stuff that we were trying to film for our TV show, like making sodas and breaking tables and uh, doing quite, quite a spectacle. To those who have seen it, whether you understood it or not, count yourself lucky because you've seen something that you'll probably never see ever again. Yeah, well, in one of my songs uh, on the album, on my new album, it's called it's Tuesday Night and uh, I Just Broke a Table. It's about, we were playing <laughs> this time when we were playing at the Roxy and everybody came out. The whole... That was packed. Every, and like, not just packed from people, but it was like the whole industry, like all these people who had been like hearing about us. Or the people we've been in meetings with who'd never seen us, all stuff. It was like our fr- it was like our show to impress the TV yeah. networks. I remember, I remember in the green room, Hollywood endings. People were like, "Listen, uh, the other band has some important people here, so don't fuck up." Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, so I like the means. vibe. <laughs> if I was to do that now, I'd be terrified. But at the time, I was just on another planet, and. So we did the whole show. We didn't tell our managers or anybody about any of the stunts or anything. And I went, we get to the end of the show and, ah, you know, I can't balance on this ladder. Boom. I go to fall through the table. I don't actually break the table. I just bounce off of it. And I just land on the ground flat on my back from like six feet up. And I'm like, oh my God, this hurts so bad. I'm just laying and there's no carpet or anything on the stage of the Roxy. It's just like hard. So I'm laying on my back. I'm like, oh, no. And I get the neck brace on. And at this point, like, our managers think, like, I'm actually hurt. All this stuff's going on. So I love that. So (laughs) we finish the show. And I go back into the dressing room. And I'm like, I'm too hurt. I can't go speak to anyone. And I just laid on my back while the entire like industry was there uh you know that i probably should have been talking to but i was just like no i need to just keep going with this injury (laughs) oh man that's where that that's where you know a lot of that song comes from i think at least that lyric talking about going through a table wow i'm honored to have witnessed the the title of that song (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's pretty crazy yeah so after ashley safari um I didn't really know what to do with music because that's just probably was like, it was my life uh, every day, all day. I was just like, I don't know what to do now. Um, so I randomly got a job offer to play in a band for kids, um, not Poop Emoji, but another band. And they were like, we do a ton of gigs. Do you want to play? It's like, okay. So I just started within a couple of months of like breaking tables and all this stuff there i was like singing wheels on the bus and uh whatever whatever the song was you know it's crazy monkey <laughs> and i did that and i started playing a lot of shows and we played like i did like 600 gigs with them in two years how long were the gigs an hour damn so i was I did that for a while, and when I started that, I was like, I don't know. I just wasn't really feeling the songs I was playing. I was like, I want to make my own kids' music. So I started making my own kids' songs and just uploading them. Didn't really know what to expect because I don't really know any kids. So (laughs) I started putting them up, and they did pretty well. Actually, now they're like 
you know, my more of that music gets listened to than any of my other music. Songs about farts and stuff like that, which I'm really proud of, actually, because I don't think a lot of people could make that, could do that. Yeah. I love my kids' music, and I love that I'm able to raise money for charity with it, and I'm able to do a lot of things and do a lot of styles of music I couldn't really do uh, without it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, your uh, your top song right now is the fart joke song. Yes, I, there's <laughs> over forty different fart song fart sounds in that song. Perfect for kids. That's huge. That's huge. So, yeah, people. Wow. I mean, and for parents listening, I know it's a silly name, poop emoji, fart joke song, pretty silly. But he his third most popular song, the hand washing. Yes, yeah, super yeah. important in these times. Wash your hands. So he's he's teaching them as well as making them. Yeah, laugh, I like so. to do a mix of like. Just anything kids would be into, and I had so much experience playing for kids. I mean, I played for thousands and thousands of kids uh, over two years, and I just feel like I kind of know there where there's a gap of, like, kids listen to Wheels on the Bus, and then there's, like, this gap between Wheels on the Bus and real music, and I try to fill that gap that exists there. Um and make kids happy and it works i get a lot of emails and messages from parents who are just like so cool and so nice and just really thankful for music and i I never get that for my music like (laughs) that's awesome i don't get like hey i mean i've been i've heard that the riches are in the niches so you're in quite a niche yeah i mean i'm kind of in there i i wish i knew how to make it more successful you know but at the end of the day i'm just recording songs and that's all i know how to do so i'm gonna let the let history tell itself i'm not gonna try to guide it in any direction um but yeah so i've been doing that for a while and when the pandemic hit i lost my job with the kids band so that was kind of like well that you didn't want to do it anymore anyway so time to move on and I was just feeling the pain of playing 600 shows, you know, like physically was just too much for me to play sometimes four gigs in a day, setting up, packing down, playing, uh, just strumming so hard on acoustic guitar or on stuff. And after a while, it just like, I don't know, I'm sure other musicians who've played a ton of shows get it, like your bones just start to not do the things they should your hand you can't pick as fast as you should just from being exhausted and I think I got pretty burnt out doing that so I really wanted to focus on just recording music which is what I love to do maybe not playing so much no yeah for sure and 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 now we are here with a new secret 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 dino club record yes finally we're here that was a long uh story I'm sorry for that no, that's that's perfect, no, man. Right, if we go a little over for an good. episode this good, that's always fine with us. So Okay, yeah. Um so yeah, now I started making this album. I had kind of just finished a kid's album I was super happy with and um I felt like I'd I've done seventy kid songs this year, so I thought, you know what, maybe I'll just chill out on <laughs> kids' music for a little bit and try to be like a normal person for a little while and think about like what I wanna write about, what I am struggling with right now and you know i think sitting in this pandemic has caused so many people to just like think so much spend so much time thinking in your head because you just can't really do much else at least where i'm living now (laughs) you can't do anything so 
I've just been very retrospective about my career and my life and like what kind of music I want to hear, what kind of music I think people who still follow me want to hear. Um, so I really tried to like tap into what I used to do and I recorded the whole album on GarageBand. Like I used to record my music and... I was going to ask where those drum sounds came from and I was hoping that was the answer. Yeah, you know, I make music a lot differently than I used to um, now, but same kind of idea. Now I just do it on my iPad and I have about uh, 15 years worth of samples saved on my hard drive. So... I can literally just go back in time and find the samples I used in 2007 and just <laughs> just put, put them in the new song. And it's like, wow, it's a retro sound. I mean, it's really, it was just my sound. You hear that, people? There's no excuse. He's just using an iPad. That does blow my come mind. On. I actually yeah. heard that about you once or twice before. I think Andrew told me, and I was like, come on now. That, there's no way. They sound too good for an <laughs> iPad. <laughs> well, I have one album... Um, one of my lesser known albums, but it's one of my favorites, is called uh, Like LeBron Has His Ball. And it's a reverence to um, LeBron Has His Ball, I Got My Microphone. You know, we're two in the same, uh, <laughs> except I don't play games. <laughs> well, he's the king of basketball, you're the king of MySpace. It's the same. I guess. But on that album, I actually recorded that on my phone. Um and I was really happy with how that came out, and I think it sounds pretty good. Um, but I really got—I just know that there's there's like a handful of engineers. Oh, there's people sitting in the studio like, screaming right they're now. They're like, "This guy was on his phone, and I've been using all these programs, and I can't make it sound that like." Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it makes people. I usually don't even tell people because a it gives you like a oh well I don't want to listen to that because you made that on your phone or whatever, but. To be honest, I just like I feel really inspired by like being on my phone and not it's like playing a game, but it's a song, you know, like I had to I had to beat this game, but the game is making a cool song with what right. I have. Instead of check out my Angry Birds score, like check out this fire beat I just made. Yeah, and that's like that's how it started. Like I was just bored towards the end of like Astro Safari and it's like I don't know what to do. I'll start making beats on my phone. And then it just like, I got obsessed and I made like so many beats. And then it's like, I think I got enough for an album here. And ever since then, I transitioned from my phone uh, to my iPad. I also on my phone, I made like 50 instrumental tracks <laughs> I put up online for people to just use for free in their YouTube videos and stuff, like non-copyright sounds. And I uploaded 50 songs just to that that I don't even really... No one really knows much about, but some of them, if I add up all the views they have in like different people's videos, some of them have billions of views. But I don't make a penny from it, uh, which is cool. But <laughs> yeah, some of them have literally billions... Cool is one way to describe it, I guess. <laughs> billions of views and of my instrumental music. So some could say I'm actually more known... Without people knowing about it, I'm more known for my instrumental skills than my vocal skills. Um. <laughs> That's just like when I watched the Eagles documentary and realized how many Eagles songs I had known my whole life. Seeing the seeing the play counts and then knowing that I got nothing from it was very uninspiring. So I stopped. 
I stopped doing, you know, copyright music, to be honest. Like, I didn't... It was kind of like a worst-case scenario, you know? Like, when I was doing it, I was like, what's the worst-case scenario? This gets billions of views, and I don't get any credit or anything for it? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess there really but, is no, no endgame there. No, I mean... When I uploaded them, I originally thought, like, I'll make the money from people, like, going through the songs trying to choose one. That's what I thought I'd get, but... Well, YouTube, give you a penny for something. I'm, uh, they don't give you any real money. So, yeah, it was basically, like, kind of a bust, other than some people really like the music. So, it, that's fine by me. I don't care. I've spent a lot of time doing stuff that no one listened to so the fact that someone even uses it for anything is cool by me hell yeah man so let's uh let's let's get into uh your new record roar because we spoke a lot about myspace we painted that picture of who you are for anyone who doesn't know i think now i mean at least i feel like i know you really well and uh so yeah. <laughs> man, thanks for being so open and like candid about your journey I have been following you for a long time. You know, like I said, when I was sort of growing up in the scene, I was doing like the pop rock thing. Um, we, we didn't call it pop punk because it was it was pop uh, pop rock. There was a difference. And uh, so, you know, you were like one of the guys doing like the pop rock thing in the scene. And so it's crazy to me how this seems so it feels so modern, yet it also transports me back to so many... <laughs> hangouts um outside the parking lot at the chance and late nights at the taco bell drive-thru saying four years strong is the greatest band you've ever heard and believing you'll carry that opinion with you they're to the definitely grave, the which <laughs> they're definitely the most famous that band is out a of fact Boston, yeah so, so i sure. mean it, I, I would love and if, if you don't mind going like kind of track by track here if that's cool with you and you kind of just like yeah, paint yeah, the picture on the songs if that's all right yeah yeah you want to start the first one um, Might as well, yeah. MySpace. First, well, really quick, really quick. I think I should ask for everyone else who wants to ask: Does Roar mean "I love you" in dinosaur in this context? Uh, That's no. A good also, okay. I love that you okay. named it Roar. It's such like a callback to the old vernacular of like the early internet. Yeah, well, like I, in my opinion, like it's kind of been a uses a derogatory term for a while. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like. The word people use to make fun of, like, MySpace and scene kids all the time. So I thought, like, why don't I just change what that word means and just make it my album, and now it's something, like, positive. Uh, and so, like, people <laughs> didn't have to feel like they're being, like, bullied by someone for saying that to them. Not that I think that's a big issue now, but it kind of always bugged me uh, before in my life that, like, that would happen, you know, that, like, just because people are like seen or wear a bunch of like a thousand bracelets or whatever that they get bullied in school or even now probably people talk shit about them online. So that's why I named my album that. Oh, that's really cool. I like that, man. I definitely can see that criticism. So yeah, and you know, people, I I was definitely on the like the side of that a lot where people would just like you know make fun of me or bully me online for my band name and stuff like that and i just thought it was so dumb like what does my band like have to do with you like living you know like why can't just me and my fans like live our own life <laughs> and like why do why do people have to just come in and like judge everyone i 
I never understood that. So I wanted to kind of like keep that mindset when I made the album. For sure. Yeah. So MySpace track one, dude. What what uh, what can you tell us about it? I wanted. <laughs> yeah i I wanted to make the, a, the breakdown is sick. Yeah, yeah, very heavy. When I started the song, I was like, I need a breakdown. I need to talk about <laughs> leaving this town. And if you notice on a lot of the album, most of the album, yep. there's a couple of songs that didn't make the album either that I talk about leaving this town in every song I can because I feel like that's just so important. <laughs> In, it's it is really music important at that point. So I was just like, let's talk about leaving this town. Um, I want to talk about, you know, what my mindset was like back then. Uh, just talking, like trying to interact with people and girls and fans, and like it was a very weird time because I didn't. I kind of just wanted to be left alone <laughs> at that time. I like gone through a weird breakup with like my first girlfriend and at the time I was just like back in MySpace days I just wanted to play my music and go to the next town was really my concerns at that time but now looking back I'm like wow like maybe the way that I was acting and like shutting myself off from everyone was what was making me upset so that was kind of my mindset of the song and just like misconnections <laughs> that would happen back in show days, you know, just like, oh, maybe I should have talked to that person or maybe I should have reached out or something. But instead, I just like went in my car and like hung out by myself. So I was trying to keep it light and give people a song that kind of puts them back in MySpace days and maybe remind them of like, a MySpace relationship or something of that nature. Um, but yeah, kind of from the perspective of any band, any guy in a band back then, I'm sure. And I'm sure any guy in general on MySpace would understand. Any girl too, really anybody on MySpace. Um, I, re I remember getting a MySpace at like 13 when it said that the age was 14 and feeling like such a badass. I was like, my dad cannot yeah, find out. Yeah, I remember out. being scared I was going to get caught. <laughs> I think I just said yes when I should have said no. <laughs> they don't really try too hard when they try to like age things out. Like, it's just like, <laughs> what's stopping anyone from clicking yes? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's exactly. So track two, Roast Me, which uh -huh. I think is just got the craziest sort of personality you, yeah. to it. It's charming, it's yeah, sarcastic I feel like, all in one. Uh, <laughs> I love it, man. I definitely related I related somewhat to it with like the like I like it when you roast me. Like I don't necessarily like if a girl's mean to me, but like I like when she's got a little like kickback, you know. After uh, like when I was making it, I didn't really think about like maybe there'll be consequences for this song, like uh, maybe people will take it too far, but at the same time like it's meant to be playful and just Sort of about, like, me and my wife, um, she loves MySpace music, so I tried to, like, really capture what my sound was <laughs> in that time with the instruments and just kind of talk about, um, I don't know, this is my wife and I's relationship, how she just kind of makes fun of me for all the stupid things I do, and it's funny to me, and I like it, so I made a song about it. Great. <laughs> um, you know, I... I hope people don't think I'm like, oh God, like 
advocating for like a uh, mental abuse or something. Oh no, not. <laughs> I think I think everything you said about no, the song I translates definitely... in it, which is why I use the word charming. Like it's it's got its, yeah. It's not like yeah. No, I think you're I think you're good there. Yeah, it never it never felt like a, it never felt like a yeah like hurt my feelings. It was yeah. just like a, yeah roast me. Yeah, it's supposed to be fun, and I think I try to capture a lot of the what was fun about my old music um my old like pop rock music some of the lyrics and stuff i just tried to like be in that state of mind and think like someone who liked my old music uh maybe they'll like this kind of update on it totally yeah that was that was the last one i made for the album i had originally made the music for a a stupid song i was trying (laughs) i was trying to make this song about um be singing a Taylor Swift song in the talent show to try to win the talent show. <laughs> um, but it was just like, wait, I like that a lot. it was way too niche. You know, like I know there's probably thousands of and thousands of girls who have sang a Taylor Swift song trying to win a talent show um, and go to regionals or <laughs> whatever. But I, I tried to write a song like that and I kind of had that little sample. It's like, and I thought that kind of sounded like Taylor Swift. And um, then I ended up just scrapping that song and trying again. Damn, I would love for that to be on a B-side. That 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 concept sounds incredible. Ooh. Yeah, you know, the, con- <laughs> the concept is there. And I think people who would get it would just really, it knocks it out the park. But mm-hmm. it's just such a <laughs> niche Jace, I, mean, I don't know if anyone's trying niche. to. I don't even know how you'd find it. You know, if it was like the Taylor Swift song, like if you write Taylor Swift song, you're just gonna see her songs. You're not gonna get my. Song. Yeah, right. There, there's, right, but right. real quick before we jump into the next track, I've always noticed this about you, and if there was ever a time to ask, it would have to be now, right? So you have like this. It's almost like Jerry Seinfeld in the sense where your your songwriting has this charm but at the same time there's a deeper level where it's very observational of the things that are going around and you can sort of critique it while still being in it like jerry seinfeld like i feel like he kind of makes fun of himself while he's on stage being a stand-up comic and you're just so good at sort of observing and especially like sort of you know retrospectively in this record reflecting on all the the trends back then like this next track raccoon tail i mean how many people used to wear those right and and so it's like (laughs) yeah is this something that you even think about or is it just like have you tried to further craft that have you ever realized that or is this just it's got to be just you right i mean he's just a really good parody of himself i guess right it didn't begin as a parody you know i i started just writing like things i was thinking because i you hear a song you're like you hear Nirvana and you're like, yeah, that's probably what Kurt Cobain's thinking about all day. He's just thinking those words. So I, I'm like, what's in my head? I'm going to write that. And I didn't like, some people say my jokes or like my music's funny, but like, that's not really a word I'd use to describe it because I'm not joke. Like I don't tell jokes, you know, like I'm not a comedian. Uh, So like if something (laughs) is funny to you, it's probably funny because it's it's real and i would much rather be real and the occasional person laugh at me when i'm not joking than like try to be funny and have no one laugh at me um i when i make a song you know it's more about 
me. And if people think I'm stupid, that's fine if they like the song. You know, like I'm willing to be like I'm willing to put myself out there to help if it helps people understand the song more. I'm willing to say anything about myself. Uh and that's always been my MO and I think I've became more aware of it as time went on. And now it's probably the most aware of it I've ever been. Yeah, like especially with uh, Raccoon Tail, for me, it seems like it's like this clever sort of sarcasm, but it's also not mean either. It's charming, but it's still sarcastic. And it blows my mind how yeah. you walk that line without offending anyone. Thing, it's though. crazy. That's the thing is, be like, like he just said, like the reason why that song is so crazy is because you've seen it a million times. Like you either knew that girl specifically or you saw your friend date that girl like 80 times and and everything you said about him was true like the raccoon tails I can I know a couple guys that were wearing raccoon tails you know what I mean like it's just it's all in there like you hit every note on that girl yeah well I don't I never intend uh, with any of my bands I never intend to make fun of anybody or make anyone feel bad or less than about themselves because that's not music is like a safe place you know and it should be and it's always been that way for me and I think I was clouded a little bit when I was younger about like what that really means and I probably have said some things that I I would never say again I'd never put them in a song again and you know I've learned from a lot of that and like from people telling me like how things they said made them feel or um you know, stories like that are people hearing something I said on stage and maybe taking it the wrong way. Um, not that I can control how someone takes something that I say, but they took it in a way I didn't expect. And looking back, you know, uh, there's a lot of things where I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. So now when I make a song now, especially with this band, I want to kind of write <laughs> all those things that I think a lot of bands did wrong then where they just say super offensive stuff without even really caring about it, just because maybe their worldview is a little offensive. Um, no, totally. No, that makes sense, man. And yeah, again, like I never thought anything you did was malicious. It just blows my mind how you have like, there's so many layers to the music and it's it's awesome because I, it's just you, you flash me right back to a perfect picture of how people used to dress and like the culture of the scene back then. It's it's insane how you embody it. It's it's. It's honestly kind of wild that you remember all that stuff. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, he, like half of this stuff, I was like, holy <laughs> crap, I completely forgot that people did that. Yeah, I I surprised myself too, you know, like, because the way I've lived my life, I shouldn't remember anything. And the fact that I'm here now and I just like, there's some things that are so vivid to me and were such an essential part of me becoming who I am that, I have to talk about them and it probably make people feel like almost embarrassed, like from their perspective to hear it. Cause they're going to know like what I'm talking about. But at the same time, like I'm, I'm not being embarrassed about it when I'm talking about it. So, you know, hopefully people don't feel embarrassed when they hear it, but I'm sure it will embarrass some people when they hear some of the songs. Yeah. So track three, Raccoon Tale, what, what can you tell us about that? Um, well, it starts out, I'm talking about going to emo night, which like out here is always on Tuesday night. And my wife always wants, she always wants to go. <laughs> she like, she thinks it's a fun time. And I, I don't know. I feel about it. Like, 
I've gone and I've had a good time and other time I'm like this is like almost offensive to like my culture <laughs> you know like I get a lot of it I don't understand when people are on stage singing the songs like they're their songs that's one thing I just didn't understand but if it makes people feel good about themselves and they got a chance to be on stage I, I, the world's a stage you know have fun but yeah I was thinking about going to emo night with her and it It'd always be on like a Tuesday night and then I'd have to get up at like six in the morning and go play these shows for kids. And I would be at emo night up here and people scream like my chemical romance. And I'm just thinking like in like seven hours, I got to be in a synagogue playing Wheels on the Bus with like 200 uh, first graders. And, you know, so it kind of that's where I kind of thought about the lyrics and then. It kind of just thinking about emo night kind of just spiraled me into, um, <laughs> you know, recalling just what it was like back then and what it would have been like if my wife and I knew each other uh, back then during MySpace times and it probably would have been funny. So yeah, no, that's wow, man. It's um, it's crazy, just sort of like getting the full picture here and, and just seeing how your brain works makes me want to step up my songwriting so much more. This is, <laughs> I don't know if that means, I don't know if making songs like mine would be a step up for anybody. The, the, pro, the process is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really cool. It's really, I'm enjoying hearing about it. Um, so the next track is something that, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I've been guilty of it in the past. I, I like to think I cut it off before it became a problem, though. But like you say in the song, some people just unfortunately do not realize it can be a problem. So what can you tell us about track four, Dropping yeah. Names, man? And and it happens all too often. Like, it, it literally, I'm going to say it one more time, and I'm just going to apply to all the songs. Every song on this album is, like, something that can happen to somebody. That I mean, something that we've all seen happen. Yeah. Um, well, when I started making the song, I was kind of making it about myself. Like, you know, when I obviously when I started like doing cool things, I just wanted to tell everyone about him. I just wanted to like, you know, especially like after being bullied by some bands in like the pop punk scene and when I was in college and stuff, like for me to go and sign to a record label that like they never could have and to do all this stuff like even if i didn't really care about signing to the record label like it wasn't the big deal to me that it probably would have been to a lot of other people that i knew i felt like i felt this just undying urge to kind of rub it in people's faces not like people who didn't deserve it but just like people who would you know call me all kinds of like weird gay slurs on instant messenger and people like I would log into my instant messenger back then. And because I had my name up on my MySpace, the second I'd log in, I'd get like 150, 200 messages. And some of them would just be guys from other bands, just like saying crazy stuff to me. And just like, you know, like you're opening for four years strong. Well, you are a piece of shit and your music sucks. And, you know, stuff like that. And like people I didn't even know were just like, were like seeking me out and doing this. I'm like, I'm just making music. And like, I don't like most of the time I wouldn't even ask to play the shows. Like people asked me to play them. So I'm like, someone asked me to play the show and I said, yes. And now I'm being bullied to play this show that I was asked to play. Like 
the, there was a big disconnect with me in there. So yeah, when I signed a, when I signed a deal, I was like, I need to let these people know, like, you know, all this time you thought you were something else and you thought your band was going to get signed to this thing and look what happened. Like, look at you and look at me now. You know, that's kind of how I felt at that time. Now I'm like, I was an idiot for <laughs> signing that record deal. And, uh, now I just I can't stand when people talk about that kind of stuff and brag about that stuff because it's not every person's success is so individual and so depending on like what they've been through and everyone's version of success is different so to me I am just so annoyed with people who continue to live like that and drop names and uh, as I was thinking about my own experiences dropping names, I started p- thinking about people that like really have rubbed me the wrong way. And I remember this guy in this band that's very popular now. I was going to a bar, and I talked about this in a song, where he he's sitting in like a huddle uh, with the rest of his band. Now, this is a guy who sold tickets to open for one of my shows, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like put him on blast here, but he's in a big band now, and he's huddling with his band. He's like, "All right, guys." Who's inside this bar and what do we need to get from them? And when I heard that, I was like, you know, I've never, I've never seen that. Like I've heard of that and I've imagined that like inner dialogue going on in a lot of people. But I've never like, physically seen someone like huddling and like doing a team meeting about this kind of stuff. So that just like super rubbed me the wrong way. And it inspired me to finish the song. I don't know. Cool. Very cool. No, I think it's uh, a lot to take away there and um, kind of just learning, just enjoy every every step of the way because you never know what tomorrow brings. So That's right. Yeah. Track five. Um, it's Tuesday night and uh, you just went through a table, which I feel like you spoke a little bit about it, but is there anything additional you'd like to impart on the track? Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the chorus of that song gets a little darker. Um, it's talking about, you know, living check to check and month to month. And I think a lot of people, especially right now, can understand like that idea, yeah. And it's like a lot of the time, you know, wh- whose fault it is is kind of irrelevant. It's how you feel, and I've definitely felt like you know, me having to live like that was the product of someone else who's just extremely greedy, who is make their actions are making me live like this, and to go through that as a person. And I think a lot of other people have gone through that. It's like so humiliating and like down putting to feel that from another human being that like this person could make different decisions that wouldn't even really affect them that much. That would help me so much. And yet they will not do it. Um, and I think a lot of people out there could relate to that. And that's what I wanted to write a song about because I've been in that situation so many times in my life where I thought if someone um, who's supposed to be taking the reins on my career, my life, someone who's supposed to be in control is just not doing the right things and they're not they're not treating it like, they're not using the reality of the situation of like what position you're putting me in by not doing that. Um, but again, everyone's responsible for themselves. So there is a little bit of like, um, maybe I shouldn't quite go that far in the lyrics when I'm like, it's all because of you. 
because uh, it's never all just one person. Ultimately, you make your own decisions. You get yourself in your own situations. But I thought people could reflect on that feeling of like this person. It's because of them I'm in the situation. I mean, the um, the feeding me doesn't put gas in the gas tank thing really. That one hit hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that one hits hard. I can't tell you how many times that I would get somewhere and a, a promoter would be like, "Yeah, we'll pay you 150 bucks," and then. They're like, ah, we're all out of money. Here's we'll get two to pizzas. that. We'll get to that. <laughs> we're almost there, Andrew. But uh, yeah, no. Um, so moving forward, dude. And I gotta say, this is uh, it's interesting to see like these uh, these old, just so many memories popping up in my head of just playing punk shows and all this stuff happening. Man, it's uh, this is a little bit of a memory lane. And speaking of memory lanes, speaking I of was in one of those shows, bands that uh, you know, you might get hit. If you were at the standing in the wrong spot at the show, so I am no stranger to hearing someone open up a pit or, or, or to calling to open up <laughs> a pit. I've um, I've almost gotten hit at a couple of Chris's. But past Chase, shows let me tell you, before. I am a stranger to <laughs> the uh, the punk beat that you use on the chorus. I have not heard that in such a long time, and the application of it—it's <laughs> crazy how it works. So you guys got to hear it. This is. It might be one of my favorite songs, if not my favorite on this album, just because of, like I said, like the trip back in time that it really brings me on. But uh, what do you want people to know about track six? Someone open up this pit. A lot of people are asking me to make a song like my old song, Albany Punk, uh, which is kind of like a punk song. Um, Probably one of my lesser known songs, but people have been following my music that's probably in like their top five. And so I was like, I don't know that I want (laughs) to. I don't know they want to do that again, but then I started programming out the punk beat, and I'm like, yeah, I do want to do this. So I uh, I made this track, and I just started doing like tap solos and stuff, and I wanted to like kind of showcase a little more musicality than not that any, the songs aren't all musical, but I just thought like if I'm gonna do something where I do like a punk beat, and it's not, and it's just like programmed, then I better be like shredding on guitar or something so i just don't feel like a phony so i just started shredding and i made all the music and i was like what am i gonna write this song about so i was thinking back to like one of the first shows i ever played i got my show combined with another show that was like a real hardcore show and not like crabcore scene kid uh show like i'm talking like brass knuckles old school hardcore and I was just by myself so I was like scared to death honestly like I was probably 18 at the time and I show up and I got my mini disc player <laughs> I got my microphone and I'm doing my stupid songs and no one is feeling it and I'm starting to feel like kind of threatened you know like it just was not going over well and I don't know anybody there I'm totally by myself so I cut my set short. I'm like, I'm done. I need to get out of here. And the promoter owes me, I think he was supposed to give me 250 bucks. So solid guarantee. I'm like waiting around. I'm pretty solid for that time, especially when you're playing by yourself and you're in your car, your <laughs> totally. gas is like 20 bucks. It's pretty good. So that's why I went and did the show. Cause I was like, well, it might be weird, but it's 200 bucks. So I went, I'm looking for the promoter and he's nowhere to be found. I'm like, where is this guy? nowhere the bands in the venue is going nuts there's people like 250 pound guys 
with brass knuckles on, swinging at each other. It's crazy. So, and you know, he's like, someone open up this pit. And uh, so I'm like, oh, wow, I don't think I want to open up the pit. But I do respect that they're doing this music. So they finished their show. And I don't know what to do. Like, generally, I try to talk to the bands that were playing the shows, but I was like by myself. And these guys looked, I don't know, maybe it was a gang or something. I didn't really know. But one of the guys ends up coming up to me. He's like, hey, do you get paid? I was like, no, I can't find a promoter. He's like, we can't find him either. He skipped us all the money. Let's go to his house and let's get the money. <laughs> I was like, okay, why not? You're like, right, that's where he is. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, idea. he should be home. Yeah, let's go. So I follow them to the house. They've got like a baseball bat and they're pounding on his door. And they're like, give us the money, you know, whatever. Give us, pounding on his door. And he just like, he opens his door like a crack and he just pushes an envelope out and shuts it again and locks the door. So the band um, takes the money and they're like counting it and they don't give me any of it. So they <laughs> they like, what am I back of it? They weren't going to give me any of the money. But then they're like, hey, we're going to go stay uh, in Atlantic City. You want to come with us? So I was like, okay. Maybe, they'll, maybe they're going to give me the money in Atlantic City. That's what I thought. So I follow them. They stop at a gas station. They get out of the van. There's two juggalos. <laughs> sounds insane, but there's two juggalos in the parking lot. And they start yelling at each other, the juggalos and the hardcore guys. And they get in a full-on brawl in the parking lot. Like that, it, it happens. Like within seconds. This wasn't like a, hey, you, hey, you. It was like, oh, juggalos? Like, that's it. <laughs> We're going to fight. <laughs> so the hardcore band and the juggalos are just like fighting it out. Wow. And there's like a, people are calling the police. It's like getting really out of hand. So I just gave him a car and I drive off. And I never got paid for the show. And it was like super late at night. And I had to drive all the way back from like the bottom of New Jersey. It was, yeah. And I just, I was thinking about that show. When I made this song, I was like, what would these guys like say <laughs> if this was their song? So that's what it, I tried to make wow. a song for that. Wow. That is actually incredible. Um, and it 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 kind of only gets uh, it kind of only gets better. Um, one little Caesars, man. That is, yeah, that's that's really the guarantee most nights, isn't it? Track seven. Yeah, that song's funny because sometimes, like later on, when I stopped playing by myself because I was too scared, I started bringing band members with me, and I went from having like one guy with me, then I had a full band, then I had crew. But right when I had my band with me there were like five of us um <laughs> we played the show the show was pretty good pretty good show pretty good turnout um but the promoter didn't have the guarantee he's like i do have i will feed you guys and he gave us <laughs> he gave us one five dollar hanre pizza for all of us and i remember saying something to him of like something about how the place is called little caesars and somehow you have only provided my band with one little caesar and i said that to the to the promoter i'm like i didn't even know you could just buy one at a time or something like that and the promoter like got mad and all this stuff it was like a big ordeal and i never got to play in that town again but it was basically because i told the guy he gave me one 
their name is Little Caesars with an S, and he gave me one Little Caesar as a payment. Love that. And that's how that ended. But yeah, I always wow. I always had trouble with promoters all the time. Um, one promoter in, <laughs> in particular, I, some guys may relate to this if you're listening. I don't know if anyone else has been put in this position, but I showed up to play a show that was promoted by a girl on MySpace. Just like, you know, young girl trying to get into pr- doing shows, promotion. So she gives me a guarantee that's like too much. It's like, I think it was like $300 at the time. And I was by myself. And, but it was really far away. So I was like, okay, it's probably a nine hour drive for me. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. I drove nine hours. The show was awful. There was no one there. Um, she did no work promoting it. She, like, she the whole time, she's like, I'm calling my friend. I think my friend's coming down. Like, yeah, one person coming to the show is really going to make up for this. And obviously, I knew it was coming. Yeah, your friend's going to turn everything around. Yeah, she's going to bring in all this money. And there were, like, two other bands on the bill, too. And they were all from, like, way out of town. So, and this is, like, I'm not proud of this moment at all. But I go to the girl. I'm like, okay, show's over. Can I get my guarantee? She's like, eh, I don't have it. So I was like, well, you need to get it. Because I just drove nine hours to get here. And you need to yeah, you need to give me the money. So she's like, but, but I just don't have it. And if I give you the money, then I won't be able to eat this week. And all this stuff. And I was like, well, unfortunately... I, that's not going to be my problem. And we got to go to her ATM. So I literally walked her down to ATM and she took out the money and she's crying her eyes out as she handed it to me. And I was just like, I was like, wow, this feels really bad. Like I feel really terrible right now, but I took the money and I went to the next town because that's what I had to do. And like, I think about that a lot, how like, wow, that girl probably still is out there today, like holding a grudge against me. Like he took the last, he took the last of my paycheck from Hollister. And now, yeah, I'm, I'm sure her version of that story is a bit different. I'm sure. But the reality is she told me she's going to give me the money and I showed up on time and I did everything I was supposed to. And she didn't have it. She didn't do the work. She I'm sure was that supposed was, to. I'm sure that was a very important lesson for her about consequences. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, she probably never did a show again, I would imagine. But I don't know. I still, like, it's weird. Of all the things I remember, like, or feel guilty about or whatever bad decisions I made, I I don't know why that one just bugs me. I still feel guilty about it. Like, if I could go back, I probably would have just walked away. But you learn, you know, you learn that, like, sometimes it's just not worth it. That was one of those times. Yeah. Fair enough, man. Like the DIY touring or, you know, booking yourself is, uh, it's rough. It comes with its, uh, its costs sometimes. Um, and it seems like, and it's, it's never fun to approach any promoter and be like, where's my money? Yeah. Like, it's the worst, the worst <laughs> feeling in the world. It's the worst. Oh, cause you know, they never have what you expect. And then you get that weird mob mentality starting with all the bands being like, did you get paid? Did you get paid? Where's this guy? And you're like, I just want to get paid and go. I don't. I don't need to how much, hit. Anybody. How much did you get paid? <laughs> well, I got paid this much. Well, uh. so exactly. Speaking of things you would never expect, right? 
the attic of a Rite Aid is something I never thought that I would ever hear. I didn't know Me that neither. existed. I so didn't know there was an we're attic. We're here. Ride. We're on the final track. <laughs> or the upstairs of a McDonald's. Yeah, that too. <laughs> track eight, the, the final track on your record, Roar, In the Attic of a Rite Aid. What can you tell us about this song? I think like this, to me, of all the songs, and this probably will be like one of the least popular songs on the album, but to me, it really encap, it's like what my life was at this time, like so much more than the other songs. Um, this is when I was playing by myself and, you know, I, I didn't stay in a hotel for the first like five years of being in a band, which is something that like is insane to think about now, but I because I was usually only one guy or sometimes later it got to be two or three. It's pretty easy to find places to stay rather than when you're five sweaty guys and stuff. When you're just one guy and you're playing a lot of college towns and stuff, it's pretty easy to find somewhere to stay. So I like to save the money as anybody would. So I was like, I'm, I'm either going to sleep in my car after this show or I'm going to stay with someone. Uh, so this one night, this girl's like, yeah, um, there's a bunch of bands staying with me. You can come stay with all of us um, at this place. And she gives me the address. Or I think it was directions. I don't think I had GPS or anything. So she gave me directions. Or maybe I followed her. I don't remember. But I remember I had the address, and I pull up, and I see the Rite Aid. And I'm like, oh, well, she must have given me the wrong address, or maybe she's trying to divert me because she didn't want me to stay. I'm going through all these thoughts in my head. And I look in the other side of the parking lot, and she's there in the parking lot. So I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's, like, behind here or something. I don't know. So <laughs> I go up to her, and I'm like, hey, uh, so where's your place? She's like, oh, it, <laughs> it's up here. And she walks up, and she uh, the, she opens the Rite Aid, because it's closed. And I think it was a Rite Aid. It could have been called something else at the time, but in my mind, it's a Rite Aid. It was a drugstore. It was either that or Eckerd Drugs or something. So <laughs> Damn, Eckerd's? How do you find these memories in my Eckerd's, brain that yeah. I forgot existed? Oh, my gosh. I haven't heard anyone say that word since I was, like, 11. Yeah. <laughs> So she she opens up the door to the Rite Aid and all the lights are off and stuff. And we like walk into the back into like the employee lounge. And then I go upstairs and I see like it's this all cement, like the floor cement, the walls are cement. It's But there's a little like kitchenette in the corner. And then I see like 15 guys in sleeping bags <laughs> sleeping on the floor in the, in the Rite Aid. And they're all like, I'm this guy from this band, I'm this... And, like, I'm the worst with names and stuff and band names. I was just like, yeah, dude, cool, like, amazing. Where, what am I going to do here? There's 15 people on the floor. Like, I don't know, any of these people. So weird. There's nothing in the apartment. It's just the empty floor and, like, little kitchenette. And then she has, like, another room off to the side that's hers. And that's the whole place. And I just remember I got my sleeping bag. I'm just like laying on the floor in the cement. I'm just like looking up at the ceiling. I'm like, guess this is what I'm doing now. So, yeah, the song's about doing that. And I just remember like sitting there reflecting like, man, I left college to do this. I left home 
Like I had all these big dreams and now here I am in an attic of a Bright Aid. And I Wow. Yeah, so that was <laughs> that was pretty rough. <laughs> uh the the upstairs in the McDonald's happened quite a bit later in my life when I was doing the songwriting thing in New York City. I was trying to be, do the professional songwriting and stuff and I had a meeting and I had a session um that went pretty late in the city and I was supposed to stay with this girl, my JP, I don't remember who it was. Someone's girlfriend's roommate, like someone's girlfriend was out of town and their roommate was going to let me stay in their apartment while they were gone. So I go to meet up with this girl that I don't know at this bar it's like pretty late and she's clearly on pills and like stuff and she's like really wasted and i'm like oh no i'm like do you have a key or something like i don't want to whatever you're doing i don't want to get into you i want to go to bed and she's like no i have to bring you back so she ends up like we we get out of the bar and she lays down in the middle of the street and like in the middle of manhattan and she's like trying to get run over by a car and I'm like, this is taking a very dark turn for the night. So like, and then people are yelling at me. They're like, what are you doing? She's wasted. Like all this stuff. I'm like, no, I'm trying to help this person. Like, I don't even know her. I'm like, she, something wrong has happened to her. I'm trying to assist her. So I'm like, I'm going through her phone, trying to call someone. She knows that like, you know, she needs some help. Like this person's not okay. So I end up calling her friend and I put her in a cab to her friend's house and I'm like well I guess I don't have anywhere to stay now and it's like three in the morning and I'm like I don't know what I'm gonna do but I have to like be to work at like 11 tomorrow so I gotta like just somehow make it through the night so I saw this McDonald's was open and the upstairs was like closed off because it was nighttime and I just waited till no one was up there and no one was looking, and I just dashed upstairs as fast as I could in the McDonald's. And then I slept up in the uh, in one of the booths up in the McDonald's until the morning when someone found me. And I was like, oh, my God, I must have fell asleep eating my chicken nuggets. That's what I said to him. And then, <laughs> and then I, I, went, I left, and I went to work the next day. So that's oh what gosh. that's about. Great. Sorry for the long-winded wow. story about... In the upstairs of the McDonald's. That's amazing, man. This was wow. uh, this was an interview for the books. I have to say, dude, really appreciate you going way longer than I expected. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, definitely worthy. Definitely worthy of our longest episode. I'm so yet, sorry, for sure. I was so long. No, no, it was perfect, man. No, no. Let me. Those were the be- Those were some of the best stories. Unfortunately, we've had on we do show. have to ask you one <laughs> final question, a set question we ask all guests. If that's all right with you, it's true. Cool. So, if you had to describe yourself in one word. As an artist, a creator, right? You can elaborate on this word afterwards, but like, what's the one word that comes to mind when you think about Jace? Um, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, sorry, the on-the-spot thing's kind of like the, the shtick, so. Like, perseverance, you know, like, I, I'm i never going to stop making music, mostly because my band can't break up because it's just one person. So I'm never going to stop and, like, my goals have changed so much and like what I'm trying to accomplish and what kind of songs I want to make are so much different now, but I feel much more 
confident now in what I'm doing than I did before because I feel like I've persevered through so much stuff and so many different um, eras of music and gone through so many different scenes and things that like I like to think that I have like the longevity and the perseverance uh, to keep going even when everything is telling me not to. Um, and that's that's it for me. Makes sense after especially all that we've uh, we've learned about. I totally see that. Dude, thank you again so much for joining us, man. It was a pleasure to meet you. You were a great guest. Sorry we kept you way longer than expected. No, don't be sorry. I, I talk too much. <laughs> I also I haven't really seen anybody else in yeah. like months. I don't leave my house. You know? Cool. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Well... Well, it's probably for the better for now. <laughs> That's true. So, Jace, dude, why don't you let the good people out there know where they can find you, keep up to date with all that it is you do, and especially listen to your new record, Roar. Yeah, my new album, Roar, will be up uh, online on all streaming uh, apparatuses on November 13th, so it'll probably be up by the time you listen to this. And you can search Secret Secret Donald Club. You can check out my music um, on there. And I've also got a playlist on there uh, called Jace's Greatest Hits. It's got like 200-something songs on it of all the songs I ever recorded uh, in my life in case you want to go back and uh, see some of the stuff I talked about. And uh, yeah, until then, I'll be online, and I'm always here if anyone wants to talk to me. Perfect. And uh, any Instagram or Twitter or Facebook they should know yeah, about? Yeah, you can Instagram, you can find me, Jace Dino Club, and my Twitter, Trapman316. Um, you can find me on there long live trap man or you can just google my name Jace Levi and uh, I'm sure something will come up perfect hell yeah man well thank you again Jace and uh, Andrew is there anything you want to tell the listeners about our show if uh, for some reason uh, the algorithm gods allow them to stumble upon this episode Uh, yeah that'd be pretty cool if this is the first or only episode you've ever seen of ours we've got other episodes in audio form on all the digital streaming platforms Spotify Apple Podcasts Radio Public Stitcher blah 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 you've heard me say it before probably you know wherever you're listening to podcasts we're there Uh, we've got the visual component here on YouTube where you can see our visual bits which are pretty funny sometimes most of the time time. we're on all those social medias also at talking podcast while you're on all those places I just mentioned, Chris has another show called Talking Stop TV. Stop it, you're too kind. That's, <laughs> I would say, at least as good as this one. I don't know if it's better, but it's at least as good. Um, so check that out while you're checking our show out. And follow me and Chris's personal Instagrams that are literally right here. So Yeah, guys, again, that's at Talking Podcast. Talking spelled T-A-L-K-I-N, no G. And, uh, of course, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. Give this video a thumbs up. It would really help the channel. And, of course, turn on the bells for notifications. This has been, I don't even know what episode. We missed our 50th. So, at this point, who's really keeping count if we can't even celebrate the big ones? Hey, it's our first <laughs> almost two-hour episode. Our so. first almost two-hour episode. And, honestly, I think one of the best, if not the best, interview we've ever done. Jace, thank you again for being here. And, guys. <laughs> uh, Thanks so much for talking to me. Of course, man. Check out his new record, Roar, on all major DSPs. We'll see you in the next one, guys. Stay sweet. <laughs> All right, guys, there you have it. Yet another episode of Talking with Andrew and Chris. And we just want to take a moment here to thank you guys so much for all the support you've shown this show. I mean, I'm sure you guys know, but this show is 100% creator-owned and creator-run, and quite literally, we couldn't do it without you. I mean, the fact that you guys keep coming back week in and week out is not only humbling, but it's inspiring, and, and it's a reason why we will continue to deliver upon our promise to bring you content 
every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so, all we ask for you guys to do in support of this show, for free, mind you, is please head over to youtube.com slash talking with Andrew and Chris. Please click that subscribe button. For whatever video you choose to listen to, click that thumbs up. It would really help out us grow the channel. And most importantly, turn on that bell to get notified every time we post content. Again, that's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on YouTube at 2 p.m. And of course, on audio. You guys can find us on Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. That is talking with Andrew and Chris. And all we ask you to do on those platforms is please click the follow button, the subscribe button, leave a review, preferably five stars, whatever the platform allows you to do. If you could throw us a little support, that would really mean the world and help us keep growing this show. Once again, guys, we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for the support. Stay sweet, and we'll see you in the next episode.